0: All right, well, we're in Colossians this morning, Colossians chapter two, and I will read verses 16 to the end of the chapter. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from which the entire body, being supplied and held together by joints and ligaments, grows with the growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. This letter from Paul to the Colossians is about the sufficiency of Christ for All of the Christian life, the sufficiency of Christ for all of the Christian life. And so Christ is not merely the drawbridge that you need to get you to the place where you can finally depend on yourself for all the responsibilities of the Christian life and say, well, I couldn't depend on myself unless Christ had gotten me here. No, you depend on Christ for your eternal salvation. That's the first thing you do in order to become a Christian. And you do that so that you can continue to depend on him and his power not yours for the entire christian life and it's a power that comes from knowing almighty god through his son the lord jesus christ now you might say well what is the difference between living the christian life depending on myself and living the christian life depending on christ and his power and on the one hand it's a subtle difference it's a subtle difference it's so subtle that a real Christian can get caught up in living the Christian life, depending on himself or herself, without ever deciding to cross the threshold or remembering doing it. It's, it's subtle. You just, you just go into it without knowing uh, that you're doing it. And that's what happened to the Colossians, actually. They were living the Christian life. They had kind of forgotten about Christ and his power, and they were living it in their own power. But there wasn't uh, a day in their mind when they had decided to do this. It came upon them suddenly. It's a subtle thing on one hand. On the other hand, it is a stark and obvious difference to live the Christian life in the power of Christ versus living it in the power of, of yourself. It's so stark and so obvious that Paul can see it from a mile away. Um, Paul can see it literally from thousands of miles away because uh, he was in Rome and uh, they were in uh, Colossae, present-day uh, Turkey, uh, almost a 1,000 miles away, and Paul had never been there. He didn't know most of these people, and so he only heard about how the church was doing secondhand from his friend um, Epaphras, and yet he knew that that was what they were doing. Um, to make it easier, there's only two options for seeking to walk with God, Christ and legalism. Those are the two. There's only two, so there's not an infinite variety that makes it uh, easier, and they're opposite to each other in such a way that one overthrows the other. Either Christ overthrows legalism or legalism overthrows um, Christ. And if you're walking in the power of Christ, your life will display all the patterns of the character of Christ, like love, uppermost, humility, forgiveness, patience, holiness. But if you're walking in the power of yourself, if you've forgotten about Christ, if you're walking in the power of self, your life will display all the patterns of legalism, such as extra rules not found in the Bible and em- embraced having increasing importance and in eclipsing uh, what what actually is found in the Bible. A substitute righteousness, a substitute holiness in place of the holiness that's described uh, in scripture. And so uh, another holiness, another set of rules, uh, a way of pleasing God takes uh, its place, one that comes from man and not uh, from God. And, uh, Extra mediators. Christ isn't enough. So you need another mediator. Or you need a mediator to the mediator. And so a uh, man invents uh, all of these. A distance from God. Legalism is always practiced at a distance from God. In fact, that's part of the point of legalism is to keep God uh, distant and uh, lack of love. And so these were what were coming to the surface in Colossae. And Paul heard reports of that. I kind of think of him like a like a car mechanic doing some kind of diagnostic test. And when those... Certain telltale signs start coming out. The mechanic is supposed to know what's uh, wrong with the car. And when Paul looks at this church, and those are the things that are coming out, all these signs of uh, legalism, extra rules not found in the Bible, a substitute uh, holiness and righteousness, extra mediators that they're trying uh, to find. Paul knew what was uh, going on. And so Paul knew that the Colossian church needed a letter like this at that time a letter on the sufficiency of christ and he wrote this letter to the colossians and he didn't write to them and say i think you have a problem and it's possible that you need to be called back to the sufficiency of christ and have a new understanding of the sufficiency of christ no he wrote to them fully confident that this was the right letter to the church at the right time and in fact the holy spirit knows that you need a letter like this, because that's the way he recorded it in scripture for you, uh, to have as well. And his plan is for us to be going through it now as a church to call us back to the sufficiency of Christ, um, as well. So in this passage, which I just read, um, a lot of these telltale signs of legalism come to the surface. Uh, uh many of them, uh, um, are, are given. Uh, about the specific kind of legalism that was starting to take root and become a danger in uh, Colossae. So Paul mentions many of these symptoms of trying to live the Christian life apart from Christ and getting into the only alternative, which is legalism and all the signs of um, legalism. Paul mentions a, a bunch of those signs. His point here is not to be exhaustive in describing the particular kind of legalism that was taking root in uh, Colossae but really was to contrast those elements of legalism to show them to be the opposite of Christ, show it to be the opposite of Christ, that walking in these things that were taking root in Colossae is the opposite of walking in the power of Christ. And so in this passage, Paul draws three contrasts between Christ and legalism. And the first contrast comes by way of command in verse 16 and 17. Here's the command, therefore, no one is to act, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. It's a command that's the form this contrast, this particular contrast um, takes. And it's kind of an awkward command. Let no one act as your judge in food or drink or a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. And I say it's an awkward command because it's something you can't control. If somebody else acts as your judge, you're not really in control of what um, they do. And so it's a bit of an awkward uh, command. But I think what he's saying is, if it happens, if somebody acts as your judge in regard to these things, don't go along with it in your mind. Don't let it take root in you too. Uh, And don't go along with it in your um, actions. And so he says, let no one be... Act as your judge. And then he mentions some things that uh, a legalist might be, and the Colossians were inclined, uh, to get into and to make a substitute kind of holiness. And he mentions them in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. I think right now is, oh, well, I know, right now is the Feast of Hanukkah. I think it's the third or fourth day of uh, Hanukkah. If one of you told me that you were celebrating Hanukkah now um, at home, I would not be alarmed by that. I would say that was fine. The Lord Jesus actually celebrated Hanukkah. Um, it commemorates uh, um, uh, a deliverance a battle that was fought during the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and Christ celebrates it, so it must be worth celebrating. Um, he celebrated it. Um, it's called the Feast of Dedication because they... Uh, took the temple back from their enemies and they rededicated the altar, uh, which had been polluted. And so that's what the word Hanukkah means. It means a dedication or a rededication. And Christ um, observed this in uh, the wintertime during his uh, ministry. And so if you were celebrating this holiday, this Jewish holiday, I think that'd be fine uh, to do. If you set it up as a requirement for others to fulfill in order to be Christians, or in order to be obedient Christians, then there would be a problem. And you'd either have to yield, or if you couldn't be at peace with the fact that other Christians did not observe uh, this holiday, you'd eventually have to leave because um, that's not what we're to be doing. That's not what we're to be judging on. Is uh, That's actually what it means to judge someone with respect to a festival such as that um, uh, festival. So... Um, Let no one act as your judge in regard to a festival like Hanukkah or like Passover or any other of uh, the holidays that are found uh, in uh, scripture or in regard to food or drink or in regard to a new moon. That would that would be a holiday that comes every month in the Jewish uh, calendar or uh, a Sabbath day, uh, the Saturday observance of rest that the people of Israel were to do in um, the old uh, Testament, and so two, these are some of the things that are coming out of the church: is that these things have become increasingly important. People are judging in the church those who don't uh, participate in a certain group, of, and the church is observing strictly all of these things and, and considering their Christian life to consist in observing uh, these uh, things. And so this is part of the special blend of legalism that was taking root in Colossae. And this is just a part of it that he mentions here. Um, it seems like it was partly of a Gentile flavor. It's called a philosophy in a, another part of the book. And it's partly of a Jewish flavor. And churches were made of Jews and Gentiles. These were certainly things that would be part of the the Jewish life of uh, those who were Jews before they were saved um, as um, uh, Christians. And so this is a special Colossian blend of legalism. They made their own blend. There's an infinite variety, even though there's only, there's only two ways to live, uh, to walk before the Lord, either in Christ and according to Christ's power or according to legalism. But there's an infinite amount of different flavors and different kinds of legalism. This was the special Colossian blend. It, it consisted of these, um, elements, um, at least, and it was a danger to spread their specific blend to other churches, like the churches nearby them and even beyond uh, that. And so Paul writes this letter to counter that. If we put our heads together, we could come up with our own Trinity Bible Church blend of legalism and have things like this, but it probably wouldn't be these. Um, but we could have our own things that were especially suited to us that we could become a substitute for uh, the things that are uh, important when you're walking according to the power of Christ. Uh, and maybe if we were successful, maybe we could even spread it to other churches. Maybe we could take it on the road and spread our own brand of uh, of legalism there, as the Colossians were um, in danger of uh, doing. But Paul mentions just this part. He's going to mention some other parts of the things that they had adopted uh, as well. But uh, he mentions just this part in order to make a specific argument against this part of what uh, they were doing. And I want to follow Paul's uh, argument. He says, no one has acted as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul identifies part of their legalistic tendencies he uh, identifies the parts that are actually found in the Bible but they're found for Old Testament Israel and he points out this is the argument that he makes for them as he's trying to really reorient them towards Christ and he just starts here uh, is that he says these things yes they are found in Scripture in fact all these things are found in Scripture all of them were to be practiced uh, for um, Israel for the nation of Israel but what he points out is they're a shadow and the reality is Christ himself. Uh, now, there's nothing wrong with shadows. You can learn a lot from shadows. If you were a detective looking for somebody and all you had was an image of their shadow, you could maybe determine a lot about the person you were looking for, maybe the shape of their face or their silhouette or uh, something like that. And actually, the shadow would be a truth teller. It's distorted. You can't see everything that you can see from the actual shape that's uh, casting the shadow. But uh, you can learn a lot from shadows. And you can learn a lot not only from studying shadows like we do when we study these things in the Old Testament that we don't, we don't practice, uh, but you can learn a lot from doing them whenever it's appropriate uh, to, uh, to, uh, to do them. But if you learn from somebody only from looking at their shadow like a detective might if he just had a picture or video of somebody's shadow being cast across uh, uh, across the space uh, on the ground. And then you got to know them. You had a conversation with them, and you only related to their shadow while you're in their presence. You'd say there's something wrong. You'd say you're, you're missing the point. Yes, the shadow is a truth teller, but it's nothing compared to the reality of uh, the person. And so this is uh, Paul's argument for this part of their uh, legalistic tendencies, And he, he, he picks maybe the strongest part to start with. I mean, these are things that, that are found in scripture. They don't totally come from man, but they're not something that applies to uh, the church. And he says, don't let someone act as your judge in regard to the shadow, because the reality of these things belongs to Christ. If you want to let someone act as your judge and take it to heart, let it be regarding Christ not according to the shadow that he casts. Let it be uh, according for something that's worth having uh, and worth listening to is uh, uh, your judge according to uh, uh, abandoning Christ, not according to abandoning uh, these things. And that's actually what Paul's doing here. He's actually rebuking them. He's acting as their judge, not because they've abandoned the shadow, but because they've, they've uh, grasped the shadow at the expense of grasping Christ himself. And that's the tendency of legalism. In fact, that's the tendency when you're trying to live the Christian life and relate to God in power that comes from yourself is you'll latch on to anything other than Christ. You latch on to anything other than Christ. You'll find knowing God through Christ and being conformed to the actual character of Christ to be out of reach. And so you'll reach for something else and anything Usually you'll reach for something that you're good at, maybe better than other people at. You say, well, I've got all the equipment for these holidays. Oh, I've got the candelabra for Hanukkah at home. I know how to do all the uh, things. And this is going to be the thing that God truly uh, cares about. And I'm going to use this as a substitute for the actual character of uh, Christ. And you can say, I'm going to celebrate not only Hanukkah, I'm going to fill up my whole calendar. uh, And then I'm going to look down on those who don't uh, observe uh, these uh, things but to love like christ loves not just fill up your calendar with uh, uh, exercises that you can go through that point to christ in some way but are, are not the reality of christ to actually love to build your life on a love uh, for others like christ does and to love even the most undeserving you need christ for that not not a a, a calendar of uh, schedules. In order to have that love, you must draw near to Christ, face to face, face to face, in order to have that kind of love for yourself, and in order to give it uh, to other. And it's face to face with Christ, where you're revealed and exposed as an ugly sinner, and as the one who His love is properly meant to to be towards is to to those who recognize themselves as an ugly sinner in God's uh, sight. And then you're able to give that same kind of love. It's found nowhere else. It's found nowhere else. It's only found in the person of Christ. You're able to give it to others. The thin veneer of righteousness, like is found in these shadows uh, that the the Colossians were saying were so important is actually to hide yourself from Christ to hide yourself from his searching gaze, to hide yourself from the conviction that comes from recognizing what you are apart from uh, Christ—it's actually to keep God uh, away uh, from you, and that's why these things are uh, adopted. He says uh, the problem with these things that they're adopting is that they're a substitute for Christ, things which are a mere shadow of what's to come, but the substance belongs. To Christ, and what it literally says here is the body belongs to Christ. And Paul could have chosen uh, any word for the thing that, according to the picture that he's using, for the the reality that eclipses the light and causes, casts a shadow uh, the other way. But he specifically uses this word body. The body belongs to Christ, and he's used it before to talk about what Christ has done. He has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy, blameless, and uh, beyond reproach. He said, uh, for in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. It's in uh, his body. And so it's only in the body of Christ, the person of Christ, uh, in his body that death is conquered. That a hopeless sinner exposed uh, before God can become a growing saint who loves in the same way that Christ himself uh, loves. And so he says, don't pay attention to the shadows. Don't get so absorbed in the shadows that you forget the body, that you forget the thing casting the shadow, that you forget the body of Christ. This is just the beginning of um, Paul's contrast that he draws between legalism and Christ. The second contrast that he draws also is similar, and it comes also from a similar command, verse 18 and 19. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with the growth, which is from God. He says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. And he uses a word there, defrauding you of your prize for deciding against you. It's a word that's often used of an umpire in a contest, somebody who could come and disqualify an athlete even after he's uh, won. Um, and so that's why uh, kind of a descriptive word is used of defrauding you of your prize. It really just means to condemn, to condemn. Let no one keep condemning you by... And then he mentions other, um, aspects of their particular brand of, uh, legalism. So it's the same awkward kind of command. If someone's trying to defraud you, someone's condemning you, uh, you, you can't stop them from doing that. But the, the command is don't go along with it. Don't let that take root, uh, in your heart. Don't be swept away with it, uh, as well. And so he mentions, um, aspects of their legalism, three aspects, three more aspects, of their legalism, let no one keep condemning you, defrauding of your prize, by doing these three, and promoting these three telltale signs of forgetting Christ, of legalism, of uh, walking in the power of self that were part of the particular Colossian brand of uh, legalism. And the first is this, by delighting in self-abasement, by delighting in self-abasement, this is what they were doing. Um, the word that's used here is—it's uh, just the word for humility. In fact, it's the same word that's going to be used in chapter three as the character of Christ that we're growing in. We grow into um, uh, humility, but uh, this is basically a false humility, and it's something that they uh, delight in. It's a humility that comes not from Christ. It's a—it's a false humility that's found in uh, themselves. And you can't pursue humility in yourself without turning it into its opposite as soon as you find it. And that's the case here because it goes together with being puffed up. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement. And he's gonna mention the worship of angels, taking a stand on visions he has seen it, But then it's this puffed up without cause in his fleshly mind. So this is a humility that's really just a thin cover for actual, uh, pride, uh, which is what humility is when it's found in self, when you, when you try to find it, uh, in self. When you find humility in Christ, you can actually find it. You can actually find humility in Christ, although you probably won't be talking about humility and how humble you are. You'll probably t- be talking about something else. Maybe, uh, other people that you love, uh, or, or something, uh, in that way. And so, um, it's a, a particularly maybe a telltale that they're delighting in humility, delighting in self-abasement, maybe talking about it, telling everybody how humble um, they are and how how serious they are at pursuing this um, humility. Well, this humility, which turns out to be kind of a false humility, they delight in this as as they delight in this devotion to angels, delighting in humility and the worship of angels. And I think they must've done this at the same time. Um a uh, humility that comes along with the worship of uh, angels or devotion to angels. So you can imagine them saying, I'm so humbled that uh, an angel came to visit me. You know, I'm, I'm just humbled uh, by this, that this has happened to me. It hasn't happened to everyone else in Christ. And it's actually means that I'm special. I've uh, advanced. Um, everyone has found Christ, but I've now advanced to the next level and uh i've had some angel appear to me and given me special information given me special uh knowledge and this is one of the things in their particular brand of uh legalism that they were prizing instead of christ it's a it's a symptom it's a it's a symptom of legalism to look uh beyond christ to another mediator someone else who can get you close uh, uh or somehow closer to God, it's a symptom of legalism, seeking nearness to God through something other than Christ. Through, and in this case, it's a mystical experience, other than uh, found in something other than Christ. When the truth is, and this is what Paul's calling them back to: you have all the nearness to God that you could want. It's all in Christ. It's all found um, in Christ, and it's a nearness that actually does humble you. Because it's a, a nearness that comes from being exposed uh, as a sinner in everything uh, that you are. And then in that way, qualifying for a love of such a kind that is uh, for undeserving uh, sinners. And so it's not a love for special people with special visions, special knowledge, special relationships with uh, angels. It's, it's a love for sinners that draws you near to Christ. And that's the only nearness that you need. And all of it is found in Christ. You don't need anyone else uh, to find you unless you're seeking for a different kind of nearness to God, a nearness that would puff you up uh, in pride and actually instead of softening your heart and causing you to love others, harden your heart and make you proud uh towards others and that's the kind of nearness they were seeking instead and so to paul this is a this is a flashing red light this is not something subtle to him as he sees this coming out of the church in colossians and then spreading or in uh threatening to spread to other churches so he says don't go along with it let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels taking his stand on visions he has seen and inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. And so these are the things that they were doing. And he mentions one more thing that they're not doing. In fact, it's a substitute for this. And, and, and uh, they're doing all those things instead of doing this and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by joints and ligaments grows with a growth from God. You have all the nearness that you want to God that you could ever need found in in Christ by holding fast to Christ. And it's the nearness of a head to a body. That's a, that's a living nearness. That's a vital, uh, uh, nearness. And that's what they were turning their back on to get a totally different kind of nearness to God and one that doesn't come from Christ, but comes from self and the sign that they are becoming a loose ligament not connected to uh, the head, but trying to have a relationship with God some other way, is the relationship to the church, the relationship to the church, not folding fast to the head from which the entire body, that's the church being supplied and held together by joints and ligaments. That's how the church is described in relation to the, Christ grows with a growth, which is from God. Other believers are the ligaments and sinews and the growth that comes from God and not from self involves other believers and involves uh, the church. So I need you. You need me. I need the church. You need the church, not just because uh, of a group dynamic that people do better doing hard things when they do them with other uh, people. That's probably true, but no, I need you. You need me because I need Christ and Christ causes growth in part through, uh, the church with a growth that comes from, uh, from, from God. So, uh, what they, that they were not holding fast to the head, Christ, is something internal, that something unseen, but the fact that the church was falling apart, the, ch- the fact that they weren't holding fast to, uh, the head and it's seen in their disconnection from the other, uh, joints and ligaments in the church as they look down on anybody who's not, uh, very good at practicing their form of, uh, legalism was very apparent to uh paul and so christ causes growth in part in large in, in a very important part through the church through us together and through us not just being friends as nice as that is not just being christian friends as nice as that is too but by being a church together connected to the head of uh, christ when christ becomes an afterthought and that's what happened in Colossae, the church becomes an afterthought when Christ becomes non-essential, the church becomes non-essential. And uh, it might be subtle, a subtle change with reference to uh, Christ. Christ has been lost somehow, uh, subtly, but the difference in the church becomes stark and obvious. In fact, that's how Paul knew that they were not holding fast to uh, the head. When you try to go higher than Christ, when you try to leave Christ uh, behind, you also go higher than the love that's found in Christ and uh, beyond. uh, And you leave that uh, behind um, as well. So when you do that, you find you don't have much use for the church, at least not for the whole church. You might have use for a faction of the church that's practicing the same kind of legalism uh, that you are, but you find the rest of the church drags you down, doesn't fit your own brand of uh, legalism. And you can ask the Pharisees how this worked. Uh, for them. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verse uh, 9, the Lord Jesus told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. And uh, the trusting in themselves that they were righteous before God and even living out of trust in themselves was subtle. That's, that's something that's that's kind of hard. It's kind of nebulous and intangible. They're trusting in themselves. How do you see that? You don't. Uh, but viewing others with contempt, that was very apparent. That could be seen outwardly. That was the sign that they were trusting in themselves and not uh, trusting in God uh, through his provision of Christ. And it turns out these people that he told the parable to were Pharisees. He told the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I won't read it um, here. But the Pharisees were good at trusting themselves very good at that. They were very good at legalism. They came up with uh, maybe the most developed form of legalism that's ever been uh, put forward. They were way better than the Colossians at putting uh, for their own uh, version of uh, legalism. They were bad at loving others. They treated others with contempt. They thought of themselves as elite uh, above uh, others. And so uh, they uh, reaped the fruit of seeking to live before God, according to the power that comes from self, and it pushed them into an ugly legalism that, uh, that they couldn't even see. Uh, they were, they were trapped, uh, by. The third contrast between legalism and Christ is maybe the most powerful. He culminates w- with this. It's in the form of, uh, a question. And I think I'm gonna look at this next time. I'm gonna push it, uh, forward, uh, which will probably be, um, After the new year, because we're going to do some messages on uh, Christmas, but we'll pick up in the midst of it and we'll stop uh, here. But uh, I hope you're considering the question, have I lost sight of Christ? Have I forgotten Christ? Am I trying to live the Christian life not knowing God through Christ, but knowing God through myself and the power that comes not through Christ, but through myself? Well, there's telltale signs of this, and all of them relate to a shallow, superficial view of sin, a shallow view of sin, a shallow view of the darkness of our hearts apart from abiding in Christ, apart from knowing God through Christ. And what does Christ himself say? Apart from me, you can do nothing apart from me, apart from abiding in me, you can do nothing. And then he says, abide in my love. And then he talks about a convicting work of the Holy Spirit that takes place in light of his love, Uh, a conviction that only the Holy Spirit brings based on Christ's love as shown on uh, the cross. Uh, But uh, what all of these legalistic strategies for living before God, according to the power of self, uh, have in common and they're, they're, There's a lot of variety, but what they all have in common is a shallow, superficial view of sin. To say, well, if I could just put a few dates on my calendar, go through the motions, celebrate a few holidays, maybe have an angel come and uh, visit me, I could uh, win the battle against uh, the flesh. No, the battle against uh, the flesh can only be won by something outside of yourself, not found deep within you, but found outside of yourself. You need nothing less than the child born in a manger that we celebrate on Christmas, who's come to make all things new, and who has a love that conquers through death. Death is what it, it uh, takes. Uh, legalism has a shallow, superficial view of sin, the battle that we face uh, against the flesh, and also a shallow, superficial view of God's love. Not, not a whole lot's needed. Not a whole lot's practiced in this uh, kind of legalism. But uh, what you need is in Christ and a love that reaches all the way down to the cross. That's the kind of love uh, that you need. Not a shallow love, not a shallow uh, sin and enemy uh, against us. And uh, that's the only way that you can live uh, before God. There's a whole life. There's a whole love that's opened by knowing God through Christ you'll never find nearness to him any other way the life that's opened up through knowing God through Christ and through the power of Christ it's a life of striving it's a life of effort yes it's a life of two steps forward and one step back the Lord wants you to overcome in this life by striving uh, according to faith and winning a crown but it's a life that comes only from knowing God through Christ and through the grace that's found uh, in Christ. And so I hope you're encouraged to make Christ central in the life that you live uh, before God and in all of the struggles and responsibilities of the Christian life. There's life, there's victory found in no other except for Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Let's look to him. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him we find a love that conquers death that embraces uh, the darkest heart and, in fact, um, only is uh, appreciated by those who see the depth of their own sin. And so we pray that uh, we might be reminded of this so that we might not try to live the Christian life by ourselves and then get uh, funneled into a strange legalism that we hardly recognize and we're ashamed of uh, when it's exposed. But instead, Father, we pray that we might find new vistas open before us that are all found in Christ, all found in the love of Christ, the power of Christ, and by abiding in Christ and in his love for us. So we pray on this uh, Christmas season that we might appreciate the baby born in a manger and not just see him as one of the gifts that you've given us, but see him as our life. All the gifts uh, that you give us are found through him and in him pray that we might make him uh, central and we pray that we might strive to live the Christian life, strive together as your church to live the Christian life through the life that's found in our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.